Well, I couldn't get any of the movies to work behind me, so I did Cats instead because I thought it was the next closest thing. Is that going to help foster conversation? I think so. Or is that just going to distract Edwin? Um, that's Edwin's problem. I do have to say something. I think we're going to have to nix this Cats thing. Okay. I mean, I, I, I appreciate the creativity, but I've already, like, I'm very visual-oriented. So I'm already focusing on like I just saw a cat drinking from a toilet bowl, <laughs> and now I'm already thinking about Tom Hooper and like directing decisions. What about this still image of Kelsey Grammer? I can deal with it. <laughs> okay, is that a money plane promotional shot? I believe this is a Fraser promotional shot back in the day. Hello, Secret Movie Clubbers. Welcome to Secret Movie Club Podcast 105. We are talking about. Our very recent, in our memory, Palm Springs 70 millimeter getaway, where we showed 2001 Lawrence of Arabia and West Side Story on 70 millimeter. We're actually using that as a launching point, but we're talking about 70 millimeter and other film formats today and just having a conversation about what that does to the movie and the experience. And it's actually super important and doesn't get talked about a lot. Who else is with us today? Oh, hey, it's Daniel. Hey, it's me, Connor Lloyd Cruz, the people's champion. Hi, America. I'm tired. Hi, this is Alex Olivier. I'm the projectionist at Secret Movie Club. I also do front of house occasionally. I think we're now at 12 people on the team, <laughs> which is great. We're officially a small business, guys, making it happen in the post-COVID economy. And I am Craig, uh, the founder programmer of Secret Movie Club. It's wonderful to have everybody here. When you hear this on Friday, we are celebrating Alex Olivier's birthday. He will not be in the booth. He will be in the theater chilling and enjoying his amazing call of a double-fisted bill of John Huston, 1940s classics, Maltese Falcon. Really, in some ways, like one of the proto-writer-director movies, when you think about it. You know, John Huston and Orson Welles were two of the only cats. I mean, obviously, Charlie Chaplin, we can get into the whole thing, but John Huston adapted that script and directed it with Humphrey Bogart. And then we're doing probably my favorite Houston, although Alex and I were talking about it, this and Asphalt Jungle, like always wrestle with my heart, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, which Paul Thomas Anderson famously watched 30 times, didn't get the first 10 times and then realized it was a masterpiece and wrote There Will Be Blood. You can feel its DNA down to Daniel Day-Lewis doing John Houston as Daniel Plainview. We're showing both those on 35 millimeter. Then on Saturday, Alex is back in the booth. I'm sorry, Alex. <laughs> no. It's fun to be in the booth. I was going to say, I still enjoy it. It is fun. The only problem is you can't watch like the entire movie. You get to see bits and pieces. But Alex is going to be projecting, and he's an amazing projectionist. Che, parts one and two, Steven Soderbergh's. And we are showing the roadshow version. So part one is definitely the longer version. That's about the Cuban Revolution. It was written by Terrence Malick, actually, or, or rewritten. Part two is about the failed Bolivian Revolution. I love this work by Steven Soderbergh. Come and check it out. And then next week on Wednesday, you're going to finally, if you want to see, everybody picked an obstruction at the beginning of the month and they made a short. This open mic short night in May is actually all original, except for maybe one or two. They were all made this month. I'm actually editing mine right now. I was up till 1 a.m. yesterday, which is probably why I'm also feeling haggard because I took an obstruction and I shot it. And now I'm editing it. I'm really deliriously excited, but also uh, it's a lot. Uh, but that's, hey, that's what filmmaking is. And then Thursday, we are doing Connor's birthday. Connor has chosen, and it came today, Connor. I'll let you nice. know. Handwritten. The reels. I wish I could tell you the reels. No. Hey, <laughs> Ryan's Babe, the Canadian uh, mind melter, Ryan's Babe, came to us today from Videonomicon in Canada. And the man that I licensed it from, 
hand wrote both the package that came to me and the package I'll be sending back the materials to him in. But we got some cover art. Ryan's Babe is in the house. I am going to be experiencing Ryan's Babe virginally with Connor on his birthday. Connor has tried to explain this to me. I really shouldn't be the one. Do you want to tee it up, Connor? It's the most baffling movie I've ever seen in my entire life. There's a lot of good, bad movies that you can kind of see what they were going for. I'm not really sure what Ryan's Babe was going for, which is what makes it kind of interesting because it's somewhere on the spectrum between an erotic thriller and a road trip sex comedy. And that's a weird spectrum to be on. And isn't it true that he doesn't have a babe? Um, He sort of has a babe. He has multiple oh, okay. babes. <laughs> Okay. Uh, and there is kind of one babe, but it's weird. Yeah, and watch the trailer and the clips we've been posting because I still can't make heads or tails of it. So I can't wait. I love these kinds of movies. Every time I see a movie like this, it just reminds me that great movie making, no matter how you classify great, is when people really knock it out of the park, it's like you're in someone's head in their dreams. And Ryan's Babe, also directed by a doctor, I believe. Yeah, which I guess is like the Ben Carson effect. <laughs> so come see Ryan's Babe, directed by a doctor erotic thriller sex comedy. We are starting to get some exciting events coming up. Mary Sweeney, the editor of Twin Peaks, Fire Walk With Me, Lost Highway, also David Lynch's wife for a period, and she had their son Riley. But Mary Sweeney has been a big secret movie clubber for a while, and she is going to come talk about Lost Highway in September. And we are showing Lost Highway on 35. She was telling us that that was her favorite movie to edit. So we are going to do it at the Million Dollar Theater, and we're going to talk to an editor who has edited some of the greatest David Lynch pieces. She famously edited my favorite Twin Peaks TV episode from the first two seasons, the reveal of who the killer is, which to this day, I've told this story. I watched it with my grandma in the San Fernando Valley. I was 12 and my grandma kept going, this is awful. I can't, I can't believe this is television, but she never made me turn it. And we watched for an hour and my grandmother just had her jaw and I kept looking at her. I was like, right? Amazing, right? And I was 12 and it scarred me. So there you go. Mary Sweeney, scarred me for life. Add to David Lynch. And they all did. Incredible. As always, you can uh, write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. And you can find out everything we're doing at secretmovieclub.com or just go to Eventbrite for tickets whenever we release tickets on Eventbrite. And we just recorded an amazing interview with director uh, Slava Suckerman of Liquid Sky, who at 82 was dropping amazing stories and super cool. And I interviewed him in his den in New York. That guy is hipper, like way hipper than me. And I was just blown away by all the stuff. And he let me know he's hard at work on Liquid Sky too. So you are going to hear that interview. That'll come out in the next few weeks. We also have a Carlos Cuaron interview for Me Too Mama Tambien that's going to come out. So hopefully, God willing, we're also expanding what Secret Movie Club does. So if you're not in the LA area, you can still be part of our community by listening to these interviews and being with us in the virtual world. Two weeks ago now, basically, we were all in Palm Springs, and we can now knock wood. Edwin kept putting a camera in my face and asking me to say that we were killing it. And Edwin, you've known me for years, and you know I'm very superstitious. And I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think you were just gleefully enjoying needling me. I was never going to say that. But I can say that with some minor glitches that I was not thrilled about on West Side Story, we got through the weekend. It felt like it essentially worked. We saw some titles on 70 millimeter. 
I enjoyed it. It was definitely a lot of hard work. There were some crazy days. The Lawrence of Arabia day went on forever and ever. We didn't wrap that one until 3 a.m. Alex, you can talk about that amazing drag show that was happening upstairs <laughs> while you were manning the merch booth. We were definitely sharing the movie theater with tons of other entertainers. Edwin looks like the Riddler right now from the, the new <laughs> Batman. I think he should start. Okay. All right. Uh, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was pretty fun, you know. Guy went to Palm Springs with Connor. He had a little road trip, you know, a little heart to heart. You know, it was, it was adventurous. Saw a lot of dirt, wind, heatness, and a nice hotel room. And, and a very, very nice theater. It was uh, it was pretty cool. I, I would go back again. It's a very killer, killer tie, man. Spent $136 on records. Still proud of that. Still owe me 23 <laughs> Yeah, and I, and I, I, know, I know Connor uh, gas money still. And uh, we'll get it soon because uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a person of honor. I spent $136 on records. Connor will get his gas money soon. <laughs> you are like the wimpy from Popeye of the Secret Movie Club team. You're getting hamburgers now and you're saying you're going to pay on Tuesday, homie. Edwin, let me let me tee this up, though. I didn't do a great job. So 70 millimeter for the audience, if you're wondering, you may know already, uh, most movies for 100 years, more, 120 years, were shot on a format called 35 millimeter. That essentially means it's almost like a square. 24 of those squares would make a second. You would shoot on film. It looks gorgeous. Documentaries would shoot on what was called 16 millimeter. It was a less expensive film stock. You would get more of it. The camera equipment was lighter. It would allow you to like shoot in war-torn countries or if you couldn't make a big footprint or have a lot of lights, you would shoot 16. People before there was home video and cell phones would shoot on a format called Super 8 millimeter. So if you think about the numbers, all we're doing is dividing it by two. So 35 divided by two is roughly 16. 16 divided by 2 is roughly 8. And what that does is it's all film, but as you get smaller, you have less of a space to record an image, which means you're going to have less resolution. And so 70 millimeter is 35 millimeter times two. To this day, uh, my understanding is that even though we have digital and Daniel may, I, I want Daniel to correct me if this is wrong. Right now, most theaters are equipped to show 4K. That would be the gold standard. There is 8K and even 10K scanning. I know that our projectionist Tom Ruff is scanning a lot of classics at 10K now, but 70 millimeter to this day is actually equivalent to what would be 20K. So it actually still is the best resolution format ever. That being said, it is not a practical format. You need huge projectors as Alex saw because he had to bring them to Palm Springs. You have huge reels. The cans are huge. The cameras to shoot the movies on are huge. The only movies recently that have shot on 70 millimeter have been Quentin Tarantino's Hateful Eight, Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master, Phantom Thread, I believe, and Licorice Pizza. Didn't he do Inherent Vice also? Paul Thomas Anderson has basically been shooting on 70. Tarantino shot on 70 once and then went back to 35. I think because he had a bad experience on the exhibition side of it. Certain visual sensorial things like this movie I love called Baraka have been shot on 70 millimeter. But anyway, it is incredible. Incredible, and that's what we showed. 2001 Lawrence of Arabia and West Side Story were also shot natively 70. What that means is they were shot on 70 millimeter cameras. A lot of movies are shot on 35 and blown up to 70. That was a trick that was used in the 80s all the time because you got better sound and it was a, to say it was on 70. And it does look incredible. But the blobs actually make 35 natives a little grainier. So movies like Empire Strikes Back, E.T., The Thing, Apocalypse Now, all have 70 millimeter blowups that are dope because of the sound. But nevertheless, the actual image is a little grainier than if you just projected it on uh, 35. But it still looks great. Still the greatest format of all time. There's no words to describe that. It all depends on the movie you watch for me 2001 just 
looks beautiful, man, on 70. Once you play it at the million dollar, it's still a little great, great presentation. The print was beautiful, but it ain't no 70 millimeter. It just felt so different. It felt like it was coming right at you. It is surprising how night and day the experience is. I was trying to be agnostic about it and just say, uh, you know, but watching 2001 in 70 millimeter was like watching a different movie. Oh, hell yeah. Most definitely it was. It is truly one of the best f***ing movies to see on f***ing 70 millimeter. And harsh one language, but... You're giving Connor PTSD because he has to believe all that. <laughs> I, I, I had to speak the truth. Well, to be fair, Edwin, 90% of the time when you say a bad cuss, I just cut out the whole sentence. Be aware of that. What did you think of licorice pizza in 70? It looked good, but I saw it on 35 and... Honestly, it looked a little bit better to me. It didn't feel like a movie that needed 70. I mean, no, again, it, it didn't. Yeah, I'm not going to question Paul Thomas Anderson, and I can't wait to see it. I still haven't seen it. it it's not a movie to be seen on 70 because it just looks weird. I saw it four times now on 70. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's great. But once I saw it on 35 at the Legion, like, Wow, this looks a lot, lot better now. This this is what I was meant to see. What you guys were just alluding to, how certain movies play better in 70 millimeter. You know, 70 millimeter, obviously, you said, we can all do the math. It's twice the size of 35. And what that means is you just have greater detail of image. I don't know if this analogy works, but it's almost like when you zoom uh, imaging on your phone and the image quality degrades the more zooming in you do. It would be slower of a degradation on 70 millimeter rather than 35, just because you have more fine detail in there. So when you're watching, you know, Lawrence of Arabia, 2001 West Side Story, there are these gigantic spectacle movies that are just sweeping and epic in scale as to what you're seeing. They are, you know, appropriate to be filmed on and shown on 70 millimeter, as opposed to something where it's a smaller, more intimate kind of movie. It wouldn't necessarily need that kind of showcase to the audience. 2001 is my favorite movie. I've seen it on every format. <laughs> when I was a kid, I actually, the first time I saw it was on VHS, Blu-ray, DVD, 7035. UMD on the little PlayStation Vita PSP. <laughs> oh, I guess I've, I'm missing out on that one. I'll have to fulfill. I'll have to check that box off at some you point. You haven't seen it if you haven't seen it. <laughs> but yeah, it played to me the best on 70. I actually, you know, this past weekend at Palm Springs was amazing to see it on 70, but I actually was lucky enough to see it a few years ago at the Cinerama Dome in 70 over there, and that was just stunning. The like roof is blowing off, and you are just bowled out of your seat. Just the grand scale of that movie, visually and thematically, commands the largest stage possible, so to speak. And I think that's why 70 is the perfect format for 2001 A Space Odyssey. I mean, the, the trip itself was fun. I didn't really watch any of the movies. I hung out in the pool and played games in the lobby, but that was really fun. I did get really scared one of the nights at one of the after parties. There was a circle of people talking about the movies, and I kind of walked past them. And I wasn't drinking all weekend, and a lot of people were. So I was kind of on a different way length and someone was like so how many times have you seen lawrence of arabia and i was like uh goose egg and i felt like i had done something really offensive they definitely were like upset that i hadn't seen the movie i mean i want to see the movie but i have a hard time sometimes when i'm in like work mode which I was this weekend, I, I sometimes don't want to watch something. But I do have previous experience with 70mm, mostly with Paul Thomas Anderson's movies. I did see the 70mm Hateful Eight when that was out as well. I think I've seen one or two older things. Some of it kind of blurs together. I think there was some stuff I saw back at 
University of Texas. Big film formats always looks good. I think Phantom Thread was probably the best one I've seen in it just because that's such a pretty looking movie anyways. I love that you guys were having a great time in the lobby. Connor is, as you know, a game connoisseur, and he had some kind of game that I guess busted Edwin up so much that everyone was enjoying Edwin's laugh, and you guys were bonding. And in the end, you know, being with people and having people time is some of the most nourishing and important things you can do. And I totally got it. So there's not, I was like, oh, you know, they're bonding. That's great. The other thought in my head, though, was, man, if 70 can't get these guys, like we've got a mint 70 millimeter print of Lawrence of Arabia and a mint like 2001 print. And like we had a 70 millimeter tech, everything had been done. And if that couldn't get you guys into the theater and you guys are movie lovers, I was thinking like that was a real uh, reality check and gut check to me to how 70 could really get people into the theaters. And I'm just saying that empirically. I was like, man, that's just right across the hallway. You know, maybe you have to be realistic that 70 really isn't the draw that people think it is. I think film formats are more of a niche thing now. Rach, one of our first dates in Chicago, we went to the Music Box, which is one of my, probably my favorite theater in the world. And uh, they were showing a new print of Rage of the Lost Ark, which had just had the Blu-ray remaster. So they had made some new prints. They're going to show it. And I sort of was like, let's go see this. This is like, it's this cool format. It means all these things and this and this and this. And I took her and at the end of it, she's like, I don't know what the format thing meant, but it was really cool to see it. Nonetheless, it works both ways, because if you even if you don't care the format, if you're there for the movie, the experience is still the movie. And if you're there for the movie and the format's important to you, then it's just elevated because you're also getting this special thing that you can't replicate at home on top of it. Palm Springs was lovely, a lovely crowd. I think there were more people than I expected in a really lovely way. People that were very passionate about these things. And the Camelot Theater is beautiful. Their booth was incredible and their like slightly wrapped screen. I don't know. It's, I love little pockets of film things in places you wouldn't expect them. I had a great time and there's a lot of great conversations. And like you were saying, it's interesting when you're, sometimes when you're working, the experience of, of the film you're seeking out hits a little bit differently. So like in this case, you know, we've gone through two years of COVID. Theaters are coming back. We, except for at screenings, the group of us don't really get to see each other outside of some, you know, podcast and occasionally when we work together. But even then, if you're working together, you're typically Alex is in the booth, someone's at the front. So it was this weird thing where like every other circumstance, I'd be so excited for these. But at the same time, I was like, oh, it's so nice to have just a weekend with all these people who are co-workers but also friends and so it's this weird divide between like i don't have time to hang out with these folks any other time but i'm also getting this you're also presented with this you know singular rare experience that's a weird juggle i think that's where my head was at and especially with alex and josh and with josh especially i was definitely more you know i remember 2001 alex and edwin watched that one and me you and josh daniel just talked uh, out in the lobby for like two hours. It was great. In Los Angeles, we're very spoiled for choice. We have opportunities in every format, which is such a cool privilege, I think. But it's also, for me, sparks a lot of interesting conversations because there's this very obsessive foothold or sort of grasp on format and what it does and what it means in a good and a bad way. I think the opportunity to see things presented the way that they were made is hard to beat. And there's a type of community that forms around it and they go to see these things. And it's things that sometimes aren't available to stream. They aren't available in any other capacity, maybe a DVD. But of course, the theater format, as we've talked about, is its own special thing. I think in my personal opinion, seeing a movie is seeing a movie. And sometimes 
that's at home and sometimes that's in the theater and that experience you had at home could be made better if you in this new way but it also doesn't detract if you can only do it one way i think kind of gatekeeping the experience sucks because some people don't have access or they're just not comfortable in that regard so i, I kind of like to preface with that but format's super interesting to me because as someone working in and working in a lot in cinematography format is something that people really get hung up on because you hear people like tarantina who say that the death of film is the death of movie making. And I think that's a little bit insane to me. Just just a concept. If I'm a teenager and I'm getting into movie making and I'm very excited because all these this equipment's accessible to me, getting my movie in front of people is somewhat accessible to me. And these people that I love and respect are telling me that because I can't use this unreachable format budget-wise that I'm not a movie maker, I think it really sucks. Like I, I don't like that idea. I think having a personal preference is one thing. But I really don't like the kind of gatekeeping that can form behind it in that regard. That being said, I do think all the formats present different things. I love seeing things on film. I think that experience is so unique and this sort of history, like each print sort of feels like a painting, I think is how we've described it in the past, because it has its history of its screenings live in it. So when you watch it, you're watching whether you know it or not, whether you care or not, you get to watch sort of this thing unfold that adds layers to the thing that's it's really interesting. And I think it's cool. And I think um, in the concept of formats as a viewing method, 70 is absolutely different. Things shot in 70 especially. I was in the same boat as Alex. I'd seen 2001 many times, a movie that I, I very much love. And the first 70 millimeter screening for me was back in Chicago. And it does it. There was a clarity to it that I had never seen before. And it was kind of unfathomable. I was like, how does it look this way? Especially because you associate it with being this really old thing, but it looks like it could have been made today in terms of just visual clarity. And I think that's really beautiful. And I think there is a draw to the format, as we've seen, when we have to swap formats, there's people that ride or die by that format. And stuff changes. I think the digital world has presented a thing where companies like Disney will change things. I know like in um, Splash, the scene where she runs into the water and she's naked. Disney added long hair to cover her butt. I think the film prints present this relic that is unchanged. You know, there's this big drive to get the original Star Wars because they're untouched. People want to see these original things as they were. In the realm of creative with film formats, there's an aesthetic choice to your selection as a filmmaker with the format you choose, whether it's 8, 16, 35, 70, and the same in the digital realm. But that aesthetic plays into your aspect ratio and the, and the content you're shooting. But that aesthetic should all be based, I think, in your personal style and your storytelling. Because we're at this point, and I think there's this incredible essay that cinematographer Steve Yedlitz put together that talks a lot about this, that we're at this point where you can sort of create the version of the thing you want regardless of the camera. Obviously, shooting something, say you're shooting on film, you create that thing differently. You're limited with time. You don't get a thousand takes. Your whole workload's different. And so you're going to approach that creation differently. But in the realm of digital, if the film look, and if that's the only thing you can choose to describe, you're like, I want it to look like film. You can recreate that now in a way that's really convincing. And his whole crux with that was he shot the same scene six times with six different cameras, three on film formats, three on digital formats. Then he's redone it since to add a 65 millimeter format and the new digital 65 format. And he basically does these and then finishes them in the same realm. So they are unlabeled and you, you can watch them at the highest resolution you can find, which I think is finished in 4K, to try and comprehend what is different about it. And his whole concept is that we can recreate these things now. So the want of you as the creator is in your hands. You can always make this thing look exactly how you want. It. You should never be limited by the equipment. It is all 
in the creator's hands. There's a lot of interesting conversations, and I think sometimes the passion for film as a format gets in the way of that. I just see so many people that won't do things because it's digital and won't, I can't make this thing till I can afford it on film. And I think that is seems like an inhibitor, and I that's the part of a format that bugs me, even though I love all these formats too. I'll quit rambling. People are often products of their times and products of their thinking, and there can be things right in front of them that they don't even realize. So like, I've really loved going on TikTok and watching these things that people are animating or that they're shooting. And the fact that it's digital and there's small cameras, there's no way you could have gotten some of the stunts they shoot or like people base jumping and like going off the base jumping with them or like these really clever kids taking audio and uh, recreating things, but dumping the audio onto it. And, you know, when you look at, like, Lonely Island, Andy Samberg and... Akiva Schaefer and Yorma Tacone. I mean, they came up before they were on SNL on YouTube, basically. You know, that kind of humor and what they were doing was liberated by the formats. I think it's always, as maybe you're saying, Daniel, I think it's always really important to remember that masterpieces have been painted in watercolor, M.C. Wyeth. They've been painted in oil, They've been painted in acrylic. They've been painted in egg tempura. That's Michelangelo and the Sistine Chapel. And now they're masterpieces that are being made on Photoshop. I think it's really important to not get fetishistic about tools and to just say, these are tools. It's a toolbox. And I have an idea and and these tools are this or these tools are that. So I want to be very clear about that. And I've been telling a lot of people, like, even though I'm somebody who does love film and I still think film looks better and plays better and I still think it gets a better emotional reaction out of the audience. And I've seen it. I've been A-B testing this since 2016. The audience reacts way bigger when it's on film. They don't when it's on digital. No matter what people tell me, I've sat in the audience. And the laugh that you get in Big Lebowski on film is different than the laugh you get with Big Lebowski digitally. Now, that being said, if you wanted to play the logic game with me, you'd say, what about when people are all at home watching Big Lebowski on VHS or on DVD or whatever, and they're all passing around a J? Absolutely. And I can't remember who was bringing up, Alex, you were talking about VHS. The first times I saw all my favorite films, Goodfellas, Mean Streets was on VHS. And I didn't sit there, you know, going like, oh, I'm missing something. I sat there watching Mean Streets or Goodfellas on VHS. I was like, this is incredible. I've never seen a movie like this. So the spirit of a movie can transcend its format. I will say that I do my documentaries almost entirely digitally because it allows me to put people at ease by having a little phone. And I can get people to open up, even my kids. You know, my kids would freeze up if I had a huge camera and I was filming them. But when I have a little camera, I was just doing my kids at home and all I had to do was put it at my chest and hit record and they forgot it was there and they were just being themselves. The only way I could film in El Salvador was with a little camera and a Super 8. But the funny thing, and I shot this documentary for Marta when I asked her to marry me. She still hasn't been home to El Salvador since she was 16 years old. And I wanted to show her her hometown, Huquapa in the mountains. I wanted to film her grandfather who was there and couldn't come back anymore. I wanted to film her school everything. I did most of that documentary digitally. And then I had a Super 8 camera and I saved one reel for Super 8. And she's watching the doc. She's watching the doc and she's, oh, oh, oh. The moment it kicked into Super 8, she burst into tears. And she said, that's how I remember Huquapa. That's how I remember it. I hadn't done anything different but switch the formats. But the Super 8 format somehow was her memory, was the format of dream and memory. 
I would just say to people, like I would say to Mr. Yedlin, that I fully agree with him that you should not get fetishistic about format. And I've said this many times. I saw Sicario digitally, and I think Sicario is one of the greatest movies I've seen in the last few years. And Roger Deakins shot that all digitally, and he's been digital for a long time. And it was incredible. But when I saw 2001 on 70, when I saw Lawrence on 70, when I saw West Side Story on 70, I teared up. I had like a spiritual religious experience. And I would just caution all of us just because things are convenient and we're moving in a direction, you can't fight that. But I think it'll be detrimental to us as filmmakers if we forget how these formats felt like high opera. And I would love somebody to make the next high opera movie. And whatever that format is, that's fine. Like you were saying, Daniel, there's the Alexa 65 that Revenant was shot on and I think a few others. But I had never wanted to make a movie on 70. And then I saw 2001 on 70. And I was like, I have an idea that I'm not going to tell anybody that I've had since I was 19. And I saw that. I was like, you know, maybe I want to do it on 70. I think the thing you have to be practical about is Kubrick made 2001 on 70. But even back in 68, you had to have theaters and projectionists and sound systems And I know that he was trying to make a high opera cinematic experience. And if you go to the Cinerama Dome or you go to the Camelot, you're going to get it. But there are maybe, and I'm pulling this number out of my butt, there are maybe 10 theaters in the world, 10 or 20 theaters in the world that could do it that way. And you have to be realistic that all the other theaters, whether it's projections or old equipment or the staff or the sound system, they're not going to be able to play that. So I've always thought if you're a really practical filmmaker, you have to say, how are the how's the majority of the world going to receive this? What is actually the final format that the majority of the world is going to receive this in? And how can I make sure that it's excellent in that reception mode rather than I've made this movie for the 10 theaters that can do it? I think it's a perpetual and an eternal struggle. I mean, you know. You have to think about it. Subtweeting Christopher Nolan. <laughs> I have friends who are, who are musicians, and when they do their final mixes, they listen on Apple headphones because they're like 80% of people that listen to our album are going to listen to it on these. Exactly. And these are yep. objectively average headphones, but that is the way that people are going to experience it. So it's important that it works for them the same way it does for like an audio file. And I do think to your point, the big thing with format that I didn't mention is in presentation because... Home theaters have gotten amazing and 4K at home is kind of the standard in our displays and some of our content. But the formatting, even though there's not a proper resolution number because film doesn't operate in pixels, our digital equipment, AMC's average is a 2K projector, which is a clear, crisp image in the standard to a degree. We have a 2K here at Secret Movie Club. So a lot of it's dictated by your screen size in terms of when you can tell the difference. And then the 4K was the more premium stuff. The Arclights used 4K. I think the landmarks might use some. But the difference of, you know, in the same, if we use the Camelot Theater and we projected the newest 4K restoration on a 4K projector of 2001 onto their screen next to a 70 millimeter side by side, I think the comparison would be pretty astronomical because our, our limitations are still in the digital world, regardless of what digital can do to replicate, the way it is presented in the theatrical experience is inherently different than the film one. And I think that's really fun seeing stuff that I loved on VHS, DVD, and then you know seeing it with us or at another theater on film. Sometimes it's a different movie uh, in a really cool way. So I think that's something too, is there's this cool thing happening where studios with formats like 4K, especially on physical media, are creating these definitive versions that look like the theater, like a theater that's uncompromised to a degree. 
but it's still different in the, you know, the theatrical version of that is, you know, you can't, no matter your home theater system, people say like, oh, I stay at home, my home theater does this better. And I think to a degree, if your only source is, you know, maybe an AMC, you're not too far from wrong. They don't care about quality unless you're in like the nice, the Dolby Cinema or the IMAX. I do like those big digital formats, both in terms of the visuals and the sound. And they're playing with stuff too, the way you talked about the 80s doing blow-ups of 70. Marvel releases expanded aspect ratio versions of their movies on IMAX. One, it's it's tricky because they say shot for IMAX. It's not true IMAX cameras. It's just shot in IMAX aspect ratio of being a taller aspect ratio it still is cool what a, what a tricky tricky preposition careful wording but it, it does it makes it it's it's a different it looks different it's cool when like you're watching it and it opens up you want uh the new kind of format that's high opera how we regard 70 millimeter today and i think it's uh sort of optimistic and worthy of pointing out that 70 millimeter was a product of an advent of technology you had uh, filmmakers who wanted to do everything cinerama style which was three projectors simultaneously hitting the screen and that's something that movie theaters just did not want to invest in so 70 millimeter was a way of compromising it for still a great cost, but less than Cinerama of having the ultra widescreen aspect ratio without having to install three projectors and have a Cinerama style presentation. The three movies that we showed over the weekend in Palm Springs, I think, are from 1962 and 62 and 68, which was the time period in which this was happening. So it's not like 70 millimeter was something that was a choice because it was necessarily the best. It actually was the most practical thing for those movies. So I think out of the same kind of circumstances, we can find, you know, as technology progresses and filmmakers continue to be innovative and creative, we'll find something that is you know, another gold standard for presentation. And I share your optimism. That's, I think, where I differ from Tarantino. You know, and Danny, I've heard those interviews. I was surprised to hear him say that. Tarantino's made these comments that, like, when the last movie is projected on film, that's it. Like, he thinks movies are dead. And I remember being like, I, you know, I love film, but I think it's cyclical. And many of us went to film school here. You know, you read those silent movie makers who were like, I'm never going to make a movie in sound. Well, and they got left behind. And then you read these movies. I'm never going to make a movie in color. And they got left behind. I'm never going to make a movie digitally. That's a choice. And I respect it. And I understand it. But I, I share the optimism of cycles. I'm somebody who believes in cycles. I'm not somebody who believes in a definitive degeneration or ascendancy. I think things rise and fall. That's why I always take heart if I feel like we're in a nadir period. I'm like, it'll come back. Because you, you can't repress that creativity in young people or whoever who believe in cinema, who, as Alex, you're saying, they're going to discover it. They're going to figure it out. So I just never I never like getting in that circle jerk of being pessimistic. I hate that. And I'm always like, no, 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 no. You know, we'll, we'll figure it out. It, whatever it is, it'll be different. It won't be like it used to be. But movies will be great. Great movies will be made. Great movies are being made right now. So I do think it's important, as you're saying, Alex, you know, I don't know that this is exactly what you're saying, but, you know, be part of the solution. That's the only thing you can do. Be the change you want to see. So if you're like, hey, I'd like to bring back movie theaters and I'd like to bring back a high opera presentation, you're going to have to make a business pitch where you're like, hey, guys, you're going to spend a hundred grand, but in six months, you're going to make a million. And then it's just then you're just printing money after that. When you can when you can figure out that pitch. I promise you movie theaters will invest in that 100 grand or 200 grand bit of equipment. So you just you have to figure it out. Exactly. And having said that also, once we find this new way of presenting movies that's as 
grand as ever we can conceive. I think we're still also so lucky to have had people in history create 70 millimeter shows because however technology advances and however cinema presentation advances, there will be people, and I myself among them, who will still want to experience films in 70 millimeter and in 35 millimeter and just across every format. Pop culture, final thoughts. Edwin, rise like Lazarus from the darkness of your cave. I saw two rare Hong Kong horror movies. I kicked ass. Probably the greatest thing I ever saw. Unnamed. Uh, oh, this called The Day That Wasn't There, and then the other one was called Evil Cats. Those were awesome. And then they played a trailer before called Abracadabra that looked so fun. It, it looked amazing. Like, yeah, we got to see this. I'm glad you do that. We got that blow nose sound effect in there, Craig, because we are using Edwin's audio from Zoom. So it'll oh, be. No, right on top oh, no. <laughs> a trailer that had no title. Just pure madness and horror and fantasy adventure. And it's just Hong Kong cinema is just the greatest thing ever, you know. Just I love that cinema. I love how that cinema is totally unbound by stunt person law. Yeah, exactly. Also, I I, I do have to give out a shout out to a person that, that's doing a, a cool thing that's happening. Mike. Mikey. Yeah, 60 millimeter. Satan Geddon. That's going to show at the Frida Cinema and here in L.A. at the Whammy Analog, both on 16 millimeter prints. So if you've never seen these movies, well, that's why, because this has never been shown before, because it doesn't exist. It's like a lost movie that's been found and will be played. So if you want to get your Satan on, come check these movies out, man. Totally go to those. It's a road show of two Satan exploitation movies uh, shown on 16 millimeter, which is the perfect format for those kinds of movies. The American uh, Genre Film Archive is actually the one hosting it. So they do great work. They have great stuff. Go see. Talking about film format, sometimes 16 millimeters is the format to see something in. Casey's been hounding me for a long time to watch it. I finally watched uh, The Wykowski's Bound. Don't know why I put it off for so long. The movie slaps. As a debut especially, like wildly confident. Shot by Bill Pope, so it's also gorgeously framed. And having seen that, them getting handed the Matrix makes a lot more sense because I was always confused how the Matrix was someone's second movie in terms of scope and with Bound, what they did with that scope makes a lot of sense. Well, first of all, Edwin needs to apologize for mixing up The Last Jedi oh, and Ride the Skywalker right. recently. Uh, and- people, uh, thank, thank you for bringing that up, Connor. I, I almost forgot. Uh, ladies and gentlemen of the of the internet world, the podcast world, I'd like to apologize for confusing... Uh, Last Jedi with the abominable trash known as the Rise of Skywalker. I'd like to apologize to Star Wars fans. My God. Thank you, Edwin. Connor, Daniel, other guy. Did we just get Edwin on tape apologizing to God? <laughs> I was also going to say Sam's back. Everybody see Doctor Strange in theaters. I'm sure it needs our help. And you can uh, find me at twitch.tv slash Connor Cruz and watch me play D&D twitch.tv slash NerdHala Tuesday evenings. I'm going to plug a movie that's not something necessarily that I've watched recently and reminded of since we're speaking of 70 millimeter and ultra widescreen formats. And that's the movie Bad Day at Black Rock with Spencer Tracy and Lee Marvin and Ernest Borgnine. I just never hear people talk about it. And it's dope. It was an early CinemaScope movie. I think it's like two... 5.5 five or even 2.6 aspect ratio. So it's just super, super widescreen. And it's super short. It's only like 82 minutes. So I think everyone should watch it because it's dope. I just saw I saw Joel Cohen's, uh, whatever, I'll, I'll get over my superstition this time. Uh, Macbeth, I hate saying that name, the Scottish play, but I saw Joel Cohen's Macbeth. 
overall very good. And his take was actually, I was impressed how nuanced it was. I think he did the thing you always want out of a, a Shakespeare adaptation, which is he had a new way of coming at it. I was actually surprised how much the movie was about people aging out of relevancy and how Macbeth and Lady Macbeth, at the same time, their bloodthirsty and their ambition also realize with a clarity you don't always get in the play that the choices they've made have led them to a place they probably knew they were going to end up in. It's definitely a movie, I think, made by somebody contemplating aging. I want to say that the top line from the movie, though, is Denzel can still, like, bring the heat. You know, Denzel was like Harrison Ford for me. Like, when he was making Equalizer 2 and stuff, I was like, uh, Denzel doesn't care anymore. Like, he's <laughs> he's done his He Got Games, and he's done his Malcolm X's, and I don't know that we're, you know, we're training days. I don't know. We're going to get another. And this is one of the greatest Denzel performances I've ever seen. I actually have some issues with some of the stylistic choices and stuff, but that's quibbling compared, I think, to overall an interesting take, an interesting realization. I did miss Ethan. I felt there was a... I don't know what you would call it, but a warmth or a, a texture, you, you know, and now Ethan, people, I don't know if people know this, he's coming out with a movie. And I think it's a Jerry Lee Lewis documentary, which sort of surprised me, also being released by A24. It'll be interesting to watch Ethan's movie and watch Joel's movie, maybe see how they work together, how they work apart. But definitely, if you're a Shakespeare fan, if you're a Denzel fan, Francis McDormand's great. There are a lot of great performance, a lot of great choices that I've never seen in any of the other Macbeths. Uh, there's a great choice he makes about how it's really just everyone's playing everybody and you can get really tired of that. And I thought that was really great. There's a character who's elevated in Joel's version that is normally not elevated. And he does a lot of what he doesn't say, which I thought was great in how he plays everybody. Definitely check it out. I love Shakespeare and it's definitely a worthy addition to the canon. And there you go. We would love to see you at Alex's birthday tonight. A Maltese Falcon, Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Two just brutal movies to this day, in the best possible sense of that word. Talk about somebody who saw the world the way it was, unencumbered by the tribalisms of ideology. John Huston just banged it out of the park so many times. So come see some John Huston. Then tomorrow, see Che, parts one and two on 35mm uh, with an uncredited rewrite by Terrence Malick. It's funny, when you watch the trailer that we just posted, I was like, how did people not see that this was Terrence Malick? Where they're like asking him, they're like, what, and it's all in Spanish. Like, what does a revolutionary need? And he's like, amor, love. And then it's all these shots of Che and fields and nature. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow, how'd I, how'd I miss Malik influence on this one? But anyway, Malik, Soderbergh, Benicio Del Toro in one of his greatest performances. And the other birthday screening of this week, please come. I can't wait. Uh, you're going to hear me audibly slapping my head and gasping and enjoying the movie that's going to melt my face off my face. Connor Lloyd Cruz's birthday pick. The Canadian, indescribable Ryan's babe. You heard Connor try. Erotic thriller, directed by a doctor, also a sex comedy, road trip movie. Uh, Ryan's babe, next Thursday. And write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. Go to secretmovieclub.com. As always, this episode was edited by Connor Lloyd Cruz, our chief creative content officer. And then Secret Movie Club Podcast 106. I'm really looking forward to this one. We're going to talk about the original West Side Story because we showed it, 1961, one best picture, co-directed by Jerome Robbins and Robert Wise, and the Spielberg remake from just a few months ago, 2021 West Side Story. And then we're going to talk about remakes in general. Uh, it's a really interesting topic at this point because so many movies, I mean, just last weekend, Fire 
Firestarter was remade from a Firestarter movie in the 80s. It's something that's been going on a long time in Hollywood. I mean, all the way back to A Star is Born. There have been five A Star is Borns or something, as recent as Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga's A Star is Born from a few years ago. And there was a 1930 uh, Wild Bill Wellman version with Janet Gaynor and Frederick March. So come join us. That'll be it. Guys, thank you. This was an epic conversation. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's okay. That was getting me back from my nose. It was impeccable timing, Edwin, truly. Alex, thank you for guesting first, but not the last time. We hope you'll be back. Thank you. Yeah, this was great. Thank you. All right, guys. Have a good week. Bye-bye. See ya. I love you. Bye, citizens. Bye, citizens.